Torrent Borealis Paradigm Expansion Greetings from the north to the citizens of the world. Welcome to Forum Borealis. Today we'll do an interesting new twist to our passage through the dirty matters of social reality. Namely, look for solutions and discuss how we the people can take charge and improve matters, individually as collectively. The three main topics in this is culture, economy, specifically cryptocurrency and universal basic income, as well as revisiting the classified space program. Our guest tonight is Catherine Austin Fitz, president of the Solari Report and Solari Investment Advisory Services. She has a lifetime in finances with an MBA from the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania and has even studied Mandarin at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. She is well equipped to reveal the dirty affairs of our ruling elite, having a career background in business and banking, among else Goldman Sachs. Fitz served as a managing director and first female member of the board of directors in a notorious Wall Street investment bank, Dylan Reed and Company. She was president of the investment bank and financial software developer Hamilton Securities Group and has even served as federal housing commissioner, as well as assistant secretary of housing at the United States Department of Housing and Urban Development, or HUD, during the first Bush administration. She has designed and closed over $25 billion of transactions and investments to date and has led portfolio and investment strategy for $300 billion of financial assets and liabilities. She is and has been a board member of innumerable schools, banks, councils, institutes, committees, clubs, churches, associations and commissions. Catherine Fitz founded the Solari Report to offer a unique perspective on how to navigate the opportunities and risks in the global financial system and political economy, also taking heed of the black economy that otherwise breaks down all financial models. She is a regular speaker and frequent guest on the various radio talk shows and podcasts out there runs her own blog at Solari and writes columns for Scoop Media. In recent years, Catherine has been a frequent lecturer at such conventions as the Secret Space Program and Breakaway Civilization Convention, and indeed cooperates closely with the people involved there, offering a unique economic context to these shady affairs and is also often collaborating with her friends, Dr. Joseph Farrell and Richard Ho Dolan, also well-known guests of our show. Today, she returns to the forum to offer further perspectives to our previous talks and our ongoing series. 
Now, a little warning. This show took a long time to get out there because it was afflicted by weird sound disturbances that took forever and an age to smooth in editing. And it's just impossible to get rid of everything. So I have to apologize for the occasional poor sound. You'll hear clicking sounds or you'll hear some words swallowed, skipped over. And that's to do with this disturbance. So the worst is smoothed out in editing. But what remains should not be too annoying. And I think you can manage to listen through it without being too bothered by it. Hopefully the content will compensate sufficiently. Welcome back, Catherine. And how are you on this beautiful day? Oh, it's beautiful. It is. It's a wonder. Yeah. I know you know because you're in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, it's been a while since the last time. Uh huh. And uh, today we'll try to to make it uh, potpourri, as we say. Okay. You know, we could do one show on each of those topics, right? <laughs> <laughs> Especially with you. But uh, today I'd like to jump around a little. Fine. Because one of your fortes, in my impression, is that, yeah, just like Joseph, you're like a generalist. Uh-huh. You have a hand in many... I guess that comes with the economical territory, right? Because economy <laughs> goes into everything. Right. Well, when you're trying to, to understand the balance sheet of the planet and how it's behaving and why... Mm-hmm. You know, it involves everything. Exactly. Okay. I have to tell you, the last show we did with you was, it, it could have the potential to be one of our most popular, but you, I don't know if you remember, but of course it was demonetized. <laughs> and what happens when it's being demonetized is that it's not just that we lose money. That's that's okay. I could live with that as long as it went out there. But they also bury it. The algorithm automatically buries it. It doesn't come up in the view and everything. And it wasn't buried immediately. Right. It was. So what happened was that it was flagged and then it went to one of the trained uh, tools who censors. Then they listen to uh -huh. whatever flagged it. I, I guess we both realize what parts of it d did flag it. And so, bam, demonetized. But I can at least uh, we can take comfort in another fact. And that's that of all our shows, this is top three in like compared to disliked. Uh-huh. I think it had a like percent of 98. That's pretty amazing when you think about the fact that YouTube really is troll city, right? <laughs> well, I have to tell you, Al, I've been so buried for so long, I should be an Egyptian pharaoh. <laughs> <laughs> On many levels, that's true. Uh, notwithstanding some of the stuff we're going to discuss today. But, but that's amazing that people actually, they, they, they love what you're talking about. I, I guess those 2% who didn't uh, love it was the one percenters and their immediate tools. Well, I think, I think for most people, my background is for many, many years, I've been, uh, first I was an investment banker and then I was an investment advisor working with individuals and families to basically protect their health and their wealth and their kids and their money. Yeah. And I've had years of experience in trying to understand how to explain 
what's going on in the on the planetary balance sheet to people in a way that they can then translate it into, okay, well, what do I do next? What's the action? So I like to bring it down to an intimate level where people can use the information to make themselves more free. So if you come to the Solari Report, our tagline is live a free and inspired life. And I like for people to have good maps because then they don't get tricked. Right. And what what frustrates me the most is seeing people's time and money wasted because they're being tricked by 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 dishonest maps. Yeah. You know, and they're tired of walking around and sort of knowing that it's, you know, it's cold and looking up and seeing a sign that says it's warm. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, no, no. So so I think the you know, the conversations I like to have are the conversations that help people translate what's really going on into, you know, what they do. The reality is some people don't want to know. Oh, and yeah. I'm always amazed that they listen and then get very upset. <laughs> <laughs> That's the amazing part that they actually listen. Most of those I, who doesn't want to know, they, they, they have blinders, <laughs> right? They ignore. Well, it's upsetting. I, I just, this morning I sent, I'm f- publishing the last part of our second quarter wrap-up. The Salir Report organizes around quarterly and annual wrap-ups. And I sent it to our proofreader, who I thought was going to send me back sort of, you know, polishing and edits. And he got so upset reading it, he kind of yelled at me. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, what are you promoting here? And I said, reality. There's nothing new. (laughs) But, you know, reality can be a little bit upsetting. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Bearers of bad news has never been popular in history. Um, so that's that. Well, we're planning on changing that, Al. Yeah. We're willing for that to change, right? Well, my insight is that, and I, I think that's a trademark of our shows too, is that you have to, because you can become very, just digging into one person of everything you deal with, we deal with, uh-huh. is enough to not just make you depressed, but even get you committed. So my message <laughs> is to to first of all never digest more than you can handle the most important thing at any time and this is also your message i know is to have a like you say a prosperous and happy life so it starts with yourself how much can you handle let the positive balance the negative right right when we are digging into the dirt that we uh, frequently are also at our shows then try to do it with a light heart try to see the humor try to uh, find the hope and try to be somewhat detached because we're discussing exactly not your individual reality per se but our collective reality that of course influences your individual but there's so much more in your individual reality that can counter all that dirt on the top is my point right so the way we say it at Solari is we have to stay in a state of amusement <laughs> mm. <laughs> and there's a you know there's an occasional line sometimes where my teammates will say uh-oh i think she's lost her state of amusement <laughs> <laughs> yeah so when you when you lose your state of i just got back from a beautiful walk watching the sunset over the you know over the water mm. and uh you know, when it, when you lose your state of amusement, that's when you know it's time to go take a walk oh. and uh, go stare at something beautiful. Right. Nice. Yeah. And, and in Europe, there's many beautiful things to stare at. Ah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Not just the nature. You're so <laughs> – Europe is so blessed with so much beauty. It's incredible. I've been here for two months now, 
And it's just been like a, you know, it's like downloading beauty after beauty after beauty. Wow. I, w- I was thinking of discussing this at the end, but tell you what, let's do it now since we're already touching it. Yeah. So what are you up to and, and, and why these um, uh, lengthy Europe stays? You frequently are here. so. Well, I yeah, I try and stay on the road about half of the year. Mm. And for a number of reasons, if you look at what I do, both the Solari Report and Solari Investment Advisory Services, my best way of understanding what's going on in the world is to be in it. So sitting, I live in Hickory Valley, Tennessee. We have a downtown population of 150 people. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tiny agricultural community. It's a cotton farming community in Tennessee. I cannot understand what's going on around the world sitting mm. and looking at a screen in Hickory Valley, Tennessee. So I like to get out and about and spend time. You know, we have subscribers throughout the Northern Hemisphere. So I like to spend time out and about meeting with them, talking with them, trying to understand what's going on in Europe, what's going on in Asia, what's going on in the world. Right. And I can't do it without being there. I just can't. So So you hold uh, meetings, gatherings, lectures, stuff like that? Right. It's a, it's a variety of things. So on this trip, I the first stop was I was going to Sofia to attend Wagner's Ring with a group from uh, Switzerland, wonderful group of anthroposophists. Mm. And uh, it turned out the best way to book through was to go through Vienna. And I have a dear friend and subscriber who lives in Vienna, and I've always wanted to go to the uh, Vienna Opera. So I stopped in Vienna, went to Falstaff, then went on to Sofia, saw the ring. Mm. And then we have some subscribers in Bucharest. And I had never been to Romania and off I went to Romania and ended up, you know, Croatia won the finals of the world cup. So I ended up at the, um, at a hotel in Bucharest Just the whole, seems like half the town was piled in next to the swimming pool to, we were all hoping Croatia would win, but the Romanians were rooting for the Croatians. Absolutely. Cause wow. it was Eastern Europe, you know, it's sort of Eastern Europe yeah. against the world was the feeling okay. anyway. So then, um, then I headed up to the Netherlands where I am now and then, um, went down to Switzerland and Lake Constance. I always try in the summer to go to the Bregenz Festival, which is about the most beautiful music experience there is on the planet. I don't know. Have you ever been? Where? To Lake Constance? Uh, no. No. There's a The Bregenz Festival is a festival on Lake Constance. That's where Austria, Switzerland, and right. um, Germany touch. Yeah. Right. And there's a floating stage there that's very famous. And you have never experienced opera until you combine Italian opera with Swiss and Austrian set design. <laughs> okay. That's maybe why I haven't been there. I'm, I'm into classical music, but not so, much, uh-huh. not so much opera. Well, the Vienna Symphony comes over. And in fact, the most beautiful things I've seen at Bregenz are the Vienna Symphony playing Beethoven. Right. Um, anyway, I've, so... I've heard so many symphonies in my life because I was... For four years, I was together with a brilliant cellist. She played in uh, no, uh, the Norwegian Symphony. Uh-huh. So she gave me free tickets. So before that, I, I didn't have much of awareness of... Cla- I knew the basic cliches like like Wagner and, and stuff, but uh, uh-huh. I really got, uh, got nailed into the whole scene. <laughs> the only thing I didn't like so much, and that's telling, because uh-huh. it's the same in art, I didn't like so much the contemporary place. 
you know? Oh, I hate it. Yeah, because there's so many talentless people. Yeah, I just despise it. Yep. Yeah, I just despise it. Anyway, so um, then some friends and I road tripped across France over to Chartres and spent four days touring Chartres. And wow. it was absolutely beautiful. Mm. It's one of the most beautiful experiences of my life. And then I went up to Normandy and Brittany and went to uh, St. Michel, Mont St. Michel. O- old Viking area, by the way. Yeah. That's why yeah. it's called Normandy. It's from the Normanners. We say in Norwegian is Norman. <laughs> Norman. Yeah, it means Norseman. Yeah. True. So I got to Mont St. Michel when they were having the... Um, the Mass of the Assumption of Mary at the end of August. Mm. And it was quite, it was run by the Benedict months, Benedictine months. And I love organ music. So we went to several organ concerts in Chart, mm. And uh, the Chart organ is quite beautiful. And then uh, the same at, at Mont Saint-Michel. Then um, I went down to Perpignan and to Collier down in the Pyrenees. Mm. First we went up into the Pyrenees and then... Um, Magical place. Oh, God, it's so, I was lucky I was staying with a family who's been collecting artwork of the, from the local artists. You know, there's quite a art colony there. And yeah. uh, the beauty, Al, was just amazing. And then we drove through Cathar country and visited Cathar castles on the oh. way to Toulouse. And I'd never been to Toulouse before. Now, for the first time in your descriptions, I'm starting to get jealous here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually going to move to Barcelona in a few years. Oh, from really? Now. Yeah, that's the plan. Uh, well, the whole trip through France, mm. uh, and there were some other stops too, but it was just uh, a lot of it was cathedrals or the Cathar castles. Yep. And the beauty was unbelievable. Just incredible. You know what I think would be right up your alley? <laughs> or maybe you've done it already, but there's this walk that people embark upon, like a pilgrimage kind of thing, but it's not just for religious people. It's become like an event. Yeah, uh, on it's northern, northern Spain. Spain. Yeah, exactly. I have uh, Alistair Thompson, who uh, was the publisher of Scoop Media, did it, I think, twice, he and his wife. Right. And in fact, when he did it, he wrote a daily diary on Scoop Media, and I used to follow it. And I was with him. He's got... A place in Brittany. So I was up with him in Brittany and he loved doing it. He recommended it tremendously. Yep. Very healthy, very inspiring, very meditative, actually. And, and of course, sound. So, yeah. One of the things I did when I was in the Pyrenees is we, we just ran across uh, to Spain to see the Salvador Dali Museum. Right. And it is extraordinary. I know they have a lot of his collection in Barcelona at the museum. But if you haven't seen it, you really need to go. It's in Figury, I think mm. is how you pronounce it. And um, anyway, so I feel like I've been on a beauty download across Europe. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're vaccinated for everything we're going to discuss now. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> well, I don't know if you know, um, Joseph Farrell has a new book on mind control, which is absolutely fantastic. Is, is that the one that's not published yet? No, it just came out, Microcosm and Medium. It's now available, and I okay. I have to tell you, it's the best book on mind control, I think, that's been written so far. It's um, it's quite extraordinary, and one of the things he goes into is why art is so important and, yeah. and his whole philosophy about we have to own the culture. Yep. And um, 
ties it into the importance of beauty and why, you know, one of my favorite quotes is from myself, beauty is necessary for survival. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Yeah. And and it's uh, it's so great that he, he has written that book because you and him wow. and many others have been talking about this for a while. And I've often heard people ask the question, what do they mean about that? How can we do this? So that's right. um, a necessary book, I think. Well, you know, it's so funny when he, when Joseph first said it to me, being an investment banker, my first thing was, well, what's the action? What do I do? <laughs> <laughs> well, we know one thing you do, and that's f- help facilitate the organ. Well, the, yeah, so so the, I thought, okay, I need an action. And so I came up with the action of I'll fund an organ for – for Joseph. And, uh, but from then on, I started to go, whenever I was in Europe, I started to go on or to organ concerts and that led me to going to cathedrals and sacred spaces. And then the next thing, you know, what I realized is, Oh, you know, what I can do to own the culture is appreciate it Mm. and promote it and support it and support the artists who are doing it and, you know, buy tickets to all these different things. And Mm. so, we all just jump in and support it with our time, with our attention, with our resources. It'll grow. Yep. Now, culture is a wide um, concept. I'd say uh, media can be a part of the culture too. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. But, you know, it's so annoying because I'm having this series I'm doing with Joseph. In fact, we have several series that we want to do with him and we're halfway with the one about the classified space program and the Nazis and all that but uh-huh. but he writes so fast that before we manage to get him back to continue he has a new book and then we have to cover that right <laughs> so, so he writes faster than we can cover on a podcast well, that's this amazing book, this book is absolutely genius you have right. to get it you have to read it it's 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 quite remarkable. It's called Medium and Microcosm, or Microcosm and Medium, The Cosmic Implications and Agenda of Mind Control. Right. And you've never gotten your mind around mind control at this wide and this deep a level. It's mm. really extraordinary. I believe that. So, yeah, I'm going to get my copy. Okay, we we could chat like this for hours, but let's get to business while the night is young. I'm thinking... Um, like I told you, there's several different issues I'd like us to tangle with today. But I think I now that I noted them down, I can see like a red thread. So I think I'll rearrange and go through them in a specific order because then there will maybe actually a red thread through this show today. Uh huh. So what I want to start with is cryptocurrency. I've lately, first off, I have to admit, although I'm a podcaster and although we have a lot of people who are supporters who are into that thing, I myself am a dinosaur. At this specific thing, I'm a dinosaur. (laughs) I never bothered. We've lost so much money because so many people want to support us with cryptos and I haven't even figured out how to put up a cryptocurrency (laughs) account. Now, Cliff, I patiently tried to explain to me. I'm going to I get back to that. But so we've had Cliff Hyon, who's like a guru in that field. And um, there's many others too. And I've seen you on different conferences. Uh, one conference, I really liked that conference. It was the one where you were, I wonder if Ron Paul was there. And um, Yeah, it's the the Nexus conference in Aspen. Yeah, I so support that project. I really liked that when I saw their stuff. But I, I've seen you discuss some of the subjects 
uh, I want to discuss with you today. But let's start with cryptos. In my mind, I see three alternatives here. And I'm, like I said, I'm uninformed. So people don't put much stock in this. But immediately I see it either uh-huh. as the proponents want to have it, that it's a path to liberation, that this can actually undermine the whole controlled economy. I mean, if everybody overnight stopped using money, our kings would immediately fall. Now, that's one possibility. The other one is it's a path to enslavement because right. cash is very good today for monkey business or anyone who needs to go under the radar or whatever. And as soon as stuff is registered and on the books in such a way that computers can do, that really sounds like it sounds like the wet dream of a Stalin or a Hitler. Yeah. And the third possibility that I see is robbery, meaning that uh, when enough values are projected into this, somehow they can... Um, it's just numbers in a goddamn computer. I don't trust that. So I don't see how they, someone cannot just... Either the powers that be or even some involved in this could just take it yeah. uh, so that's my introduction reflection uh, you can run with that well I see digital systems as not having integrity so meaning anything that's digital can be tracked centrally mm. and anything that's digital can be controlled centrally because the people who control the systems ultimately are the people who control the hardware Mm. And the hardware operates, you know, within systems that are subject to very tight control and force. So I don't see how you build something that has integrity on hardware that doesn't have integrity. And if you look at the current money systems, to the extent that they have a coin or a dollar bill that you can put in your pocket and walk away and it's not traced, mm-hmm. you have significantly more freedom than if it's all digital. So my objection is not to cryptocurrencies say what I believe is that digital systems have no integrity. And not only that, if you look how digital systems are being used, they're being used to basically take away, you know, provide 24-7 low-cost surveillance and harvest people through a variety of mechanisms. And any anything that's in that medium is going to be subject to those tricks, those games, that harvesting, that surveillance. Right, but wouldn't, uh, and, and I'm not the right person to defend this, but wouldn't the uh, proponents say that it's decentralized, it's not just at one place, and that it's protected by, I don't know, some uh, metaphysical cryptic key, whatever, that they can't do all this stuff with it? I've, I searched out and sat down. I did a serious due diligence on, on uh, both blockchain and... Um, and cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin last year. And I really sought out and and found the best cryptologists I know in the world. Mm -hmm. And they agree with me that it's not secure. I can get into the details of how that works. But um, particularly when you go in and out of the system or whether it's the exchange of the blockchain you're using, you know, whether it's your keyboard or whatever your point of entry, there's so many different ways to compromise this. Mm. But wouldn't, I don't understand, it's tech geeks who love this. Wouldn't they know this already? Well, you know, I've been quite shocked. When I was at the conference, Mm. I was quite amazed at how 
little the people there understood the general system. Um, so then they're just being naive, right? Well, here's the thing. Our world is run by force. And when you tend to get into a room with people at a place like the Aspen Institute, they tend to assume that the rule of law will protect them. Mm. And they don't understand, no, <laughs> if you're doing something that upsets the bank, some guy will walk in and just... Uh, a problem fixer, that's what they call it. Well, but our plan, our plan is run by force. And the people who control the hardware run the planet by force. And if unless you're prepared to deal with that, so, for example, I would never start a currency unless I had the backing of a sovereign government that had an army. Right. Even that's not safe. Look at what happens to the few countries who, who try to break free from that. Right. They're falling one after one. Right. So if you look at what's happening to them, understand that the same thing can and will be done to you. Mm. I mean, if you look how the, the advent of cryptocurrencies, it's worked tremendously well for the central banks and for the system. How so? How can they harvest from this? Well, because Isn't there competition to white money? No. If, if you're the central banks, one of your primary goals is to rebalance the gold inventories globally, and the, and the central banks are buying. And how do you do that without running up the price of gold? Well, Bitcoin has been phenomenal at sucking money out of gold and the gold markets and keeping the retail pressure down. Right. If you look at the whether it's the central banks or the very wealthy – They're all trying to buy up hard assets, and to the extent that they can get everybody else buying zeros and ones, it takes the pressure off the retail price. That makes sense. Huh. Right. One of the examples I used at the cryptocurrency conference was, if you look at the land report, it, the land report is the uh, land ownings of the 100 top landowners in the United States. Mm -hmm. And... Since 2008, they've doubled their holdings of land. Yeah. Yeah, because land land is really hard currency. Right. Uh, possession and gold. Right. It, it's, it's in their interest to get rid of anyone else uh, dealing in hard assets. Well, but there's something else. If you, if you look at all the different covert operations going on, certainly in the United States, Bitcoin has been fantastic for laundering money into them hmm. and if you're managing the market properly and attracting more money in you're basically making money in a way that you can finance it's what joseph farrell once said he said it's hitler's wet dream infinite amount of money secret money for secret armies so yeah you can use bitcoin to launder money to all these folks and stay anonymous right so the power players are doing the same thing that the small crooks are doing Yeah, yeah. Because um, they are using this too. I, I'm going to interview the mother of a poor chap who got uh, arrested and thrown in jail and the whole thing was a farce. He had this, um, I forgot what it's called. Oh, It was this where, where people could communicate um, privately. Uh, they said, oh, drug dealers and right. whatever were using it. But obviously the problem with it was that the government didn't have control that didn't have insight right and in a way it's the same thing like this uh, i think they used it for money and uh, whitewashing but what we do at a small level obviously they can do at a big level well i don't i was amazed at the um at the the conference at aspen because there was one 
active to claim that he was running for president, but was being financed anonymously with Bitcoin donations. How many times have I heard this? You don't really know who your donors are because they're anonymous. And um, he, he basically stood up and rolled out a presentation that proposed we do the rape of Russia in the United States. And um, what does that so mean? What it means is uh, complete privatization, a hundred percent privatization. Um, yeah, like like they did on a Jelson, but Putin uh, rolled that back to some extent. Right. Well, thank God. What he proposed was this. He said, "Let's, um, you know, I'm going to become president on the first day, and by executive order, I'm going to shut down the United States government, and then I'm going to roll <laughs> up all the assets that the government still owns and have an auction and auction them off." Let me guess. This this was an anarcho-capitalist, right? <laughs> right. Well, this is this is this is the oligarch's wet dream. This is exactly what Harvard and Goldman Sachs and the Treasury did in Russia when the wall came down. Yeah. So I I stood up and said, well, you know, it's very interesting. Um, you know, they tried this in Russia, uh, but let me explain what's going to happen if you implement this plan. 50% of every community in America, there are 3,100 counties, so 50% or more of the people in every county of those 3,100 counties has income that directly or indirectly comes through the federal budget. Hmm. So you're going to shut down 50% or more of the income in every one of the 3,100 counties in America overnight. Now, the average person, let's say, has three weeks of food, three weeks of cash, and can go three weeks without st- starving. Hmm. So let's figure you have nine weeks until you have major die-off. In the meantime... You no, know, but before that, uh, it would be riots in the street, pitchforks and cannibalism and God knows what else. Well, you would certainly have a very implosion kind of situation. Yeah. And, and I said, now, in that environment, if you auction off the state parks and all the government real estate and other assets... Goldman Sachs will be able to buy them for tenths on the dollar. Right. Right. But it's not that. I mean, this philosophy is kind of the same thing that the current administration uh, subscribes to, only in a obviously much smaller scale. This is like an extreme uh, of that. Right. So, but so, let me say this, and, and then I want you to comment on it. Okay. Because I, on the one hand, I sympathize with an approach like that. Why? Because it will undermine the tools that have been hijacked and controlled by the elite for so long. And those tools not are... At all. Not at well, all. Well, yeah, okay, not but, at all. But, it won't undermine a thing. It will give them it will exponentially increase their power yeah in the long run i get that and and you can explain that but i'm just saying that people who listen they will think like this too because nobody believes anymore in the (coughs) public institutions they've been eroded corrupted hijacked ruined in many cases they work against the people rather than for as was the idea but on the other hand if we remove public institutions we are kind of back to square one because then it's really who who's got the power who's the boss because the public institutions were supposed to facilitate and help and i'd say if you look to the socialist countries it's also been corrupted there but there by the bureaucrats i think the scandinavian model although i don't subscribe to that model politically i have to admit that has been the best one to keep the integrity 
and we're talking relative because everything is corrupted uh, at the end of the day, but uh, in a relative scale, the Scandinavian public institutions, uh, I think, is working best in the for the people kind of thing. Right. I, I don't know so much about maybe Switzerland is better and, and some weird places, but in general, I, I sympathize with the idea of having public institutions to help us and facilitate stuff for us. But there's a balance where they can become too powerful, and there's also a balance where they become vulnerable to be hijacked and used against us as they are in America, and that's why America isn't anymore, if it ever was a free country, a capitalist country, or a free market country like like most people tend to believe. So, so let me disagree with you because you're yep. talking about you're talking about this as though it was zero or one. Yeah, I don't disagree that the government has not been run with integrity towards the average American. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it could be significantly better, and it could also be significantly worse. And I don't think a solution is to take steps that make. It's significantly worse. Mm. So I'm not a fan of doing things that give the oligarchy much more power to behave in lawless ways. But just to spoon feed us, uh, and for the benefit of the listeners, how would this serve the oligarch's agenda? So if you use shock treatment to change things, you the oligarchs have basically stolen $50 trillion dollars. You have $21 trillion missing from the federal government. You had 24 to $27 walk out in the bailouts. Um, and so whether it's ownership of assets or financial assets, they're sitting with enormous resources. Hmm. And if you deliver shock treatment in a way that basically destroys and wipes out everybody else's assets but not theirs Mm, mm, you put mm. them in a position to basically institute slavery so true but when ron paul was running for president one of the uh, objections to his policy was exactly this that you can't i mean overnight in healthcare, everything. And his reply was, well, we wouldn't do it overnight. We would ease it into the system so that right. people have time to build up uh, alternative um, uh, ways to function. Roll it back to the romantic good old days. So what if we use that argument here and say, okay, let's do it, but let's not do it as a shock thing. Can that work? Well, I would say it another way. I think the first thing you need is you need transparency around how resources really work. I've published a lot about all the money that's disappearing from the federal government. Mm-hmm. Um, there's $21 trillion that's gone missing between fiscal 1998 and uh, fiscal 2015. And the federal government, the Trump administration, said in response that they were going to uh, do a audit. Now, my attitude is (laughs) an audit of 2017 does us no good. If there's 21 trillion, we're not going to go get it back. But but still, it's better than nothing. So if it's really an audit, if it's not just a whitewash. Well, it turns out that the Department of Defense went to the Federal Financial Accounting Board and said, we have a problem. If we do a real audit, we could we could make classified projects Mm. transparent. So the Federal Financial Accounting Standards Board two weeks ago issued an order saying that they were allowed to cook the books and not report the classified projects honestly, which means you have no idea 
so they're at this point, their financials are meaningless for DOD and the accounting board, when they promulgated the policy, which I would say is in violation of the law and the constitution, Mm -hmm. they said that if they didn't do it, they would have to redact the entire DOD statements, which means they would have to redact the federal government statements. Now, what that is saying is the, the people in charge of accounting policies for the federal government are saying that it has become impossible for the government to publish financial statements or to comply with the yeah. laws related to financial management. Now, we I have a big series at Slary on the illegality, you know, what the laws are and what the constitutions require. And and if you go to constitution.slary.com, you can find it all there. Nice. But the reality is what the first thing you need to do is you need the federal government not to have a negative return on investment to the taxpayers. The taxpayers are continually putting money into the government. It's their biggest, in many cases, their biggest expenditure. And then the money's being spent in ways which are harmful to them. You have to deal with that. And and you have to get that money back on a positive return on investment. And that includes an honest conversation about why why are we keeping everything secret? And these are things I assure you, Al, that are way above Trump's pay grade. This is not Trump versus Clinton or any of these. No, no, no. You know, this goes far deeper and gets us into all of the, you know, the secret space program and black budget questions. And so the question is, are we... Are going to we going to have two realities and two budgets at the federal government? Or are we going to have one reality and one budget? And I'm arguing for for one budget, and one reality. Mm, yeah, you want to fuse the black and the white. Yeah, you said that the last time too, and I agree because uh, we can't really have a serious political discussion until we fix. It's like a boat, right? And we're we're all in a boat, and some want to sail east, someone want to sail west, someone north, someone south, and we're fighting about it and fighting about controlling the boat. Meanwhile, the boat is leaking. <laughs> and, and I think we have to stop the leaks before we can do. This is why I hate identity politics because it's such a huge distraction. Well, it's a very, it's a very clever distraction. Oh, it's yeah. working. Yep. I don't know if you saw it. I, I got upset about a month ago, or it's right before I left the United States. So maybe it was two months ago, and I had a Twitter storm where I kept tweeting out the poster that says, "You know, stay calm and do the math." Yeah. And what I was saying is, look. If you all would just collaborate collaborate about the money, you know, there's $65,000 per person missing in America. There's another 70000 that the auditors say, you know, the economy lost per person because of the financial crisis. And then there's the bailouts cost another 75000 You know, if you guys would just collaborate about the money, you could hate each other rich instead of hating each other poor. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) I I want us to get there, uh, the forced dichotomy, but I'm not done yet with what you just discussed, the economy thing, because you're right. Every time they want to implement their rape, they either uh, blame it on national security or they blame it on classified projects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's perfect. They robbed the, their own bank. And now they say because of these robbery plans, IA classified projects, you can't audit it. So it, it's, it's, a, it's completely illogical and it's hilariously, you know, perfect. So, and it works. But I mean, of course it works. Who could oppose them? 
Well, I, I don't know if you know this, you know, I was working, I've been working with this marvelous scholar from the Michigan State University, Dr. Mark Skidmore, who he and his students did a, just a noble job of digging through all the financial statements from 98 to fiscal 2015, you know, and I had it up to 12 trillion and everybody thought I was high. Mm. And then he went through and got it, got it all the way up to 21 trillion. But yeah, because on the agenda today was to ask you what's the latest figure. And you said 50? To, uh, through two th- through fiscal 2015, the total figure is 21 trillion. Okay. And if you go to missingmoney.salary.com and then click on HUD and DOD supporting documentation, what we do is we give you a list of every agency every year and a link to the document, show you what page it's on so you can duplicate all of that yourself. Nice. It's all it's all documented. Yeah, one of the big controversial events was I told Dr. Skidmore that I would not publish his report and I didn't want him to publish his report until I had not only all the documents, but I had them up and linked on my server, not to DOD and HUD. Mm. And he thought I was being a little paranoid and, but he was very nice and said, okay, fine, I'll wait, you know, we'll wait the extra time. So we got it all up. And then literally right after he published his report, they took the documents down. Of course, of course. (laughs) And then uh, somebody must've, you know, cause we, uh, Forbes made a big Forbes magazine, published an article about it and made a big to do about the fact they'd taken it down. So I'm sure the White House called Scream really? wow. and they put it back up on another URL saying, oh, well, we were just organizing, reorganizing the website. Right, right, right. Right. Anyway, so it's all, all of this just takes much more work. Anyway, so doctors, what was I going to tell you about Dr. Skidmore? Um, well, the, the 50th trillion um, number, maybe, because I've seen that been floating around too. Well, that's my number, including the the bailouts and other. So it's twenty one trillion. And, oh, right, it's like the total of. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I know what I was going to tell you. So, he kept asking for um, his questions to be answered by the DoD uh, Inspector General. So he kept submitting questions and getting stalled, and they finally said they were going to do a report. Well, finally, they do a report on the undocumentable adjustments. Mm-hmm. They don't tell him. They just publish it. Well, one of his graduate students finds it. And Al, we couldn't believe it. I fell off my chair. I saw something I've never seen before. Every number Mm -hmm. in an inspector general's report, every financial number, every number was redacted and half the titles redacted. And so you couldn't understand a word because every number was redacted. And I said, you know, this is the ultimate, this is the ultimate joke how can you publish a financial statement where every number is blacked out wow i know but but i mean he's he's very naive obviously he's an academician of course but what did he say to that or, or this joke? Oh, I, I don't i don't i think he's remarkably not naive <laughs> not anymore obviously not anymore yeah no. yeah yeah but i think he you know i think he if i asked him today what is going on he would say that there is a reality and there is official reality and the department of defense doesn't feel comfortable Hmm. sharing reality now i'm the kind of person who i could accept a certain amount of secret projects or black budget projects i have no problem with that but if you look at the scale we're talking about secret projects we're talking about a scale of the size of you know the entire economy yeah 
Yeah. And we discussed this the last time, and it's no secret uh, that one of the large places this goes is to our classified space program. Right. And we're going to go get to that too, but I want to wait a little. I want to first discuss a few other things. So if you stay with, yeah, let's stay with the politics and economy, and, and then I want to go to some of these space program things. So let's go to politics. Okay. Let me give you an uh, introduction or, or a reasoning, and, and then I want you to reply to this. One of the things we're doing here at the forum is that we are trying to kill the false... There are real dichotomies in the world, but they are rarely those that are flaunted and and fought about. The false dichotomies are very dangerous and and they're wonderful distractions. They are ventiles for the powers that be. And today, it's very interesting times because we've never had this many... Um, should I say, system-critical people among the population, I think we reached a critical mass. I think the only reason we haven't seen the effect of it, well, we've seen effects, Brexit, Trump, but should I say positive effects, is that the, the power players, like you said, they're using brute force. They're trying to hold the line with brute force. And we see that all over. We see that in media. We see that in internet, everything. But here's the thing. Uh-huh. So many people on the so-called left and right, which is... If there ever was an anachronism, that is one today. Because there is, like like my friend Alex over at Skeptico says, he says it's just one political party, and that's the globalist party. On the left, they control it via the neoliberals. On the right, via the neocons. And they make the authentic people, which are the majority on both sides, hate each other. Right. But at the end of the day, we have more common interests across these lines, left, center, and right, when you look at important areas. Uh, Granted, not identity politics, maybe some economical disputes, all that. Yes, but our message here on the forum is that we can sit down and discuss, should we have a totally free market? Should we have a socialism, whatever? We can discuss uh, gender issues. We can discuss abortion issues, all that stuff, when we have our liberties back. Right. Until then, I think the only solution to uh, such a huge... The world has never seen in known history such a huge force of central power that is brewing today. And I think... The so-called alt-right and uh, the prog-left and and the libertarians and everyone should join. Again, they should realize that we're dealing really with a, a real dichotomy of, on the one hand, centralism, bureaucracy, authoritarianism. Uh, tyranny, basically, on the one hand. Uh-huh. And on the other hand, liberty, autonomy decentralization. So that's the real dichotomy. And then it comes in a left package, a right package, a center package. But we are too busy fighting over these symbolic things. So uh, if you could address that point. So I think the situation is much more dire than you do. Really? More than I do? Wow. Yes, I do. Let's hear it. So I think the issue is not over central control versus It's not totalitarianism versus democracy. I think it's between freedom and slavery. Right. So I think that what you're talking about, to to me, the number one uh, uh, control technology in America is mind control. Hmm. And a lot of the discussion and debates are the result of mind control, not of any kind of real authentic process or disagreement among people. That's so true. It's manufactured uh, disagreement, right? Yes. 
it's you know but it it's it's much bigger than that if you look at the entrainment technology that's used to create addictions to sugar addictions to gambling mm. addictions to pornography mm. the you know creation of control files out of those addictions addiction to consumer shopping addiction to opioids on and on and on yeah. it's my control that if you if you look at a person's income statement or balance sheet or life energy their health their wealth is simply being their mind is being drained yeah mind body anything everything mm. and they don't understand what they're up against they don't understand that these technologies are real they don't understand that they're working and that they are subject to them and the people around them are subject to them because mm. it's so bizarre you just cannot believe how bizarre the whole thing is so i think part of what you're watching is a population that's being managed with mind control technology and the problem is if you see where that technology goes you know you're basically talking about implanting people and controlling them by controlling their minds in a form of slavery yeah but we're talking soft slavery or is the ultimate goal overt slavery like in ancient times we're not talking soft slavery um so eventually it will be overt yeah if you if you go back and you look at the i i found a fabulous book by a professor at cornell the half has never been told about the economics of the african slave trade which i'd been trying to understand and figure out for a long time and couldn't do it until i found this really amazing study and basically what you discover and this is my interpretation reading his work mm -hmm. there were two reasons why we canceled the african american slave trade one was they could never the, the european countries could never put down the haiti revolution and they were very afraid that it would spread on mm. onto the north american continent Yeah. Um that was number one. but number two, the banks kept losing money because there was no way to perfect your collateral. Mm. Now with digital technology, you have a way of perfecting your collateral. And and the thing to understand about the slave trade is that they discovered it was slavery was phenomenally financially profitable. But they had breeding uh, facilities in America. Wouldn't wouldn't it eventually be cheaper to just breed new slaves than import them, uh, you know, long journey, many people dies on the way, you know, hassle to get them. Well, that that's in fact what happened because once you had the original you populated the East Coast, mm -hmm. you build up a pool of slave labor and what they did was they created corporations to develop Louisiana, Alabama, and Mississippi, and sold stock on Wall Street because it was great. The whipping machine, as it was called, was a great income producer. And then they stipulated a mass migration of a significant number of slaves over those three states to populate those plantations. And it's very interesting how when I was reading the book and I studied um, – The instructions, the instructions when they did the mass migration with 70% of the slaves sent west were to be um, young men, single men between the ages of 17 and 35. And just mm -hmm. as I was doing it, I was doing a salary report with a wonderful professor from Tufts on using mass migration as a weapon and the weaponization of mass migration. And I was studying the EU's website on the statistics of the immigration into Europe and realized that 70% of the, of the prior year's immigration into Germany, in, I think the year when it was approximately a million, it was 2015 or 2016, mm. um, 
70% of the immigrants were single men between the ages of 17 and 35. Yeah. And I yeah. said, wow, you know, it's the same playbook. Yep. Now, of course, you can say it's logical also because, first off, those would be the people who would have least uh, opportunities where they come from. And there's also those who are adventurous and can get the resources to, to get over. But yeah. they know that. So, yeah. So, so my theory about why they are flooding, why immigration isn't enough, why they also need to whip up war refugee is that it's if they're going to have like the whole world one economy, everybody is going to be low wage slaves, then the best way to erode the rights, uh, the, the labor rights that's been fought for hundreds of years here, uh, which are in into law in countries like Norway, there's stuff that's into law, okay. protections from the law. The best way to do that is to create such a pressure on the working force that that they have to alter these laws because if you have like twice as many people competing for a job, automatically the prices go down and they don't have to ship it over to China, right? They can do it here because... This. But in Norway, we are in a very special situation because of the oil. Right. We, we haven't... The, the same progression that has been taking place in the world has happened here too. But when the cake is getting bigger over... Overall, uh, even though the differences are getting bigger, the gaps of the one percenters are, are, are still here, but we don't notice it so much because the whole cake is getting bigger. So even though we are losing, you know, the majority is losing, we, we haven't noticed it yet. Right. So Norwegians at large won't wake up until we are going bankrupt, until the next alt central delete and the oil money is gone. But anyway, so my point is that get enough people in, like in Germany, and then wages will automatically go down. Is that, uh, uh, is it even more sinister than that? So let me look at this at a deeper level, because the economy is not the deepest level. Okay. One of the most interesting moments on the Solari Report was when I was interviewing Bill Tiller. Dr. William Tiller, do you know who he is? I've heard a name, but I'm sorry to say I don't. Dr. Tiller ran material sciences at Stanford University. He was a professor and mm. research scientist at Stanford, and he was able to raise private capital to do uh, he raised private capital to do research as to whether or not human intention could change material reality, at, including at great distances. And what he was able to prove was it can. Mm. So human intention, properly focused can change material reality, including at great distances, particularly when people work in groups. Yeah. Quantum physics has demonstrated this. Yeah. Right. And Joseph, in fact, goes into Tiller's work and how that relates in his newest book, uh, Microcosm and Medium. Anyway. Splendid. So I had Tiller on the Solari Report, and I was doing the pre-interview, and I said to him, Dr. Tiller, I'm very interested in community prayer. What do you think of it? expecting him to be positive. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, you have to be really careful. If the people doing the praying are coherent, it helps. If they're incoherent, it's things worse. Wow, this guy really knows his stuff. Yeah. Because I've been studying um, esotericism and magic, so I know a little about these things. And this is exactly, uh, wow, go on. This is right. interesting, go on. So this is exactly what Joseph means when he says he has. we have to own the culture. Mm. Powerful culture is what helps us maintain coherence individually and in families and groups, communities. Mm. 
what the problem with much of what's happening with immigration is not that it changes our our labor rates, it's that it destroys our coherence. Right, right. Okay. Now, when you lose your coherence, you lose the ability to invent and create your world. If our consciousness and our intention has the power to create material reality, then we are very powerful. And our consciousness is powerful, particularly where we are in accord. Mm. And which is why you're seeing whether things that make us incoherent or the divide and conquer tactics, you're trying to see everything being done to prevent us to come to our power. Exactly. And it, it leads to at least two forms of conflict. On the one hand, you will have the cultural clash between people from other cultures and the cultures they're coming to, right. which is the obvious thing. But there's even a more sinister level, and that is that the reaction it creates and the hate and the fear and the totally honest and fair reactions too. I'm, I'm not trying to demonize those who react, but they can go over the top, right? They can start hunting parties and killing off people. Right, so we lose our power. Yeah, and so that becomes also, uh, they whip up extremity in, on so many levels. Right. And, and then that becomes an internal conflict in the culture, in the country uh, that's hosting this already. So, so it becomes a complete divide and conquer. And we've seen this. We've seen this the last five years, 10 years maybe. Right. It's always astonishing to me. One of the reasons on the Solera Report I do, and, and right now we're doing a lot on mind control, mm-hmm. is I find, you know, the thing that most frustrates me is when I see my subscribers or clients get tricked. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to get them to develop a strong immunity. <laughs> So they don't get tricked. Mm. And so they see the game, they see the trap, because I think if you can get enough people to see the game and not fall in the traps, we start to make real progress. Mm. But that's a very hard job, you know. Well, I don't, I, I don't, I think it's possible and I'll tell you why. I've spent a lot of time in my life managing businesses and organizations and you don't, all you need is 5%. That's a great, I thought 15% was the critical mass. In this, if, if you can get 5% who can, who can have the, the navigating tools so they can lead, yeah. then you're going to get another 20% to follow them. Yep. And there you've got your critical mass. And that's also related to owning the culture. Right. Because the cool people, uh, the innovators, if the right people are the pioneers in the immaterial values, then they become all the cool people and then all the followers. It's how it works. It creates waves. Right. It does. And I totally support it. And that's, we're part of this with our show. That's one of the reasons for this show. Exactly. Yeah. You believe it, it's possible or else you wouldn't be doing the show. True. <laughs> That's entirely true. And uh, Alex said to me, uh, Alex of Skeptico, he said, I, I was questioning um, Steve Pishinik or whatever his name is. Uh-huh. And I said, yeah, you know, I want to believe what he says, but even that could be a psyop. And Alex said, well, yeah, sure. But then all is lost. If nothing is true, all is lost. I said, yeah, but I, I rather want to know the real truth. I don't want to have comfort things just so I can sleep better uh-huh. because I think it's impossible that all is lost at any level. Even if it takes a thousand years, right. what we do today matters. Yep, 
Absolutely. One of my favorite pieces of writing to ever illuminate reality. Um, John Rappaport has a series of about a thousand pages of interviews where he interviews some guy who used to be on the inside who tells all in exchange for anonymity. And they're absolutely marvelous. He published them during the 1990s. And I used to just salivate every week while this new one came in. Mm. But he has three or four with a guy named Ellis Metavoy. Ellis Metavoy is a pseudonym. And Ellis Metavoy was, uh, claims to be uh, the head of PR for some secretive group of people. My guess is he probably did public relations for the executive committee and the council on foreign relations is what I think. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so he's describing to Rappaport in the series of, of interviews how they used to rig everything and how they used to spin everything and sort of persuade people into false pictures of reality. And finally, about halfway through the interviews, Rabapore gets really frustrated and says, okay, well, if you guys are so smart and we're so stupid and it's so hopeless, why are you even talking to me? <laughs> and then and then Metavoy proceeds to explain something which absolutely fits with all of my experience on Wall Street, all of my experience in Washington. He says, you know, it's the strangest thing. <laughs> he uh-huh. says, every time we thought we had totally under control and locked down, this like thing would happen, and he proceeds exactly. to he proceeds to describe what I call the divine intelligence, and it's always right. a little bit out of control. <laughs> and and it, they never see it coming, right? right? It's always something coming from their blind uh, spot. Well, I'll tell you in their defense, I used to be an investment banker, and I would do these huge transactions. And there there are different rules about good process and how you do a proper transaction. Mm. And, of course, one of them is you subject most of them to competitive bidding. And I would start down the process, and I would say, well, I know how this is going to go because I'm so smart, and I know this is going to work, and I really shouldn't go through the process, but I'll just do it because it's best practices. And then, you know, I'd subject to a competitive bid process, and Al – Stuff would show up that I would never think of, and these crazy things would happen, and you would realize, wow, hmm. the the total global intelligence is beyond any of us. Hmm. Yeah, it was beautiful. They they try to imitate that, I think, by virtual reality, artificial intelligence, but I think that's doomed to fail. There's just so too many X factors in life to be able to calculate every measure. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, we can praise existence for that very fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the thing that most people are most interested in is who's really in charge and why are they behaving that way? <laughs> Which, of course, I don't know the answer to, and I don't know who does, other than it's more than zero. (laughs) All of our files are free and will remain free. If you like the show, you can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. Just use the PayPal link on our website, YouTube channel or Facebook page. Thanks. I want to say one more thing about owning culture, by the way. Uh And that's maybe an angle that many people 
not necessarily immediately see, but it's uh, quite interesting because if we own culture, if we can project our values, yes. our, our ethics and all that stuff into it, remember that culture, unless you, you, you're a break of a civilization who managed to run a globe remotely, then even you will be a part of that culture and the sons and daughters of the elite will be a part of that culture. And I'm pretty sure that let's say the the successor of Bowman was listening to Beatles when he grew up, whatever, you know what I mean? So if we, if we can get, and, and that's, I think why they're trying to violate culture with this completely uh, manufactured, uh, artificial, just stupid. Uh, in the last 20 years, we've seen media, mass media. We've seen, because before music, film, there was real art, right? But now it's just right. bubblegum and it's just calculating. The, the suits are running it and it's the same old playbook and it's just stupidity, right? Well, but, but even a thing like reality TV that was so criticized because of its vulgarity and it's making us flat and all that, even that had in it potential that they didn't see that we could own and take back and work with and inject, you know, real culture into. All I can tell you, Al, from the summer is that the cathedrals and museums of Europe are just packing them in. The organ concerts are, you know, people are out the door. Mm. So I don't, I don't know exactly what's happening. <laughs> no, it's a good thing. But, you know, yeah. one premise, I think, to have culture is to have our primary needs met. Now I'm going to introduce the uh, next subject I want to discuss with you. Uh I'm afraid it's a huge one, so we'll just touch it superficially and then move on to the last subject, which is the space program. But I want to say that if you don't have your primary needs met, uh, the culture will be only for the elite. If we go back to the feudal society, they didn't give a crap about, you know, uh, you know, like Marie Antoinette said, what? Are they hungry? Are they rebelling? Let them eat cakes. So that's where we will get if we lose our uh, ability to have the primary needs met so we need the primary needs met and um, when i say we i mean as many as possible hopefully all and then we will have you know spare energy to deal with uh, the spiritual food which is culture yeah now universal basic income uh, i've been looking into this for some years now and i've been going back and forth about it and some people think it's like a left-wing conspiracy other things it's a right-wing conspiracy and there's argument for both and the reason is that you can actually argue against it and you can argue for it based on being either in a traditional left, center, or right. There's actually arguments for it and against it from all political specters. Uh, We can't rehash them now. We don't have time. But I want to say one of the sympathetic things I have to it is that if the system is hijacked, which it is, if they're trying to erode everything, if technology is going to make jobs superfluous and all that, and if they're looting our collective treasure, if you see all the billions going into the war budget, if that would rather go into something like universal basic income, two things would happen. One, we would have much more people who could start bothering about higher questions, like not just culture, but even the stuff we're discussing. Mm-hmm. The, the stuff we're discussing is luxuries of is for those who don't have to work around the clock or find work or get food or whatever. So it would boost civilization. Uh, that's one. The second positive is that it would create many new jobs because if people have to take 
basic uh, whatever they can get, they can't use their inner because every people, uh, some people uh, are decaying, but every people are born with a creative ability to be innovative, to be geniuses, only on different uh, levels and different areas. But you have to have food in your belly and roof over your head to get there. Right. And I don't support like, uh, like we have here in Norway. We don't have universal basic income. We have, uh, I don't know the English word, but it's like social security kind of thing. They make everybody slaves of the system and you have to stand with your hat under your hand and beg and, uh, go through unworthy stuff. And sure, it's a huge network, but it, the way it works and the bureaucracy, I, I can't even get to it now. We, we don't have time. So I think I think the universal basic income would remove so much bureaucracy and so much social security and all, all sorts of stuff like that. And it would just treat everybody, bam, here's the baseline. Right. Now, either just live a normal life or, or use your life to better uh, the world. And I could also find arguments against it, but I suspect most people already know arguments against it because that's, you know, the most known thing. Uh, the, the positive things are, are not that much known. But you, who are a finance whiz, and you, who, in addition to that, know what's going on economically and even the dark agendas, how do you relate to such uh, an interesting uh, issue? So let me grossly oversimplify Please do. There, there, there are basically two models we could follow. One is to allow markets to work so that entrepreneurs were free to access new technology and maintain a high intellectual learning speeds. And the law protected everyone, at which point entrepreneurs would be able to respond to new technology by building equity wealth and communities do the same. Mm. Okay, so that's one model. The second model is... Hang on, we could you, call that the Ron Paul model maybe, right? Pardon me? Could we call that the Ron Paul model? Uh, you know, free market that's honest and decentralized. So, so let's call it Austrian yeah. economics. Austrian, okay. cool. Yeah. So the Austrian economics apply and the rule of law relatively applies according to the Austrian economics model. Um, that's So families and communities can solve all these income problems where they are. Yeah. Um, the other model is we use new technology and uh, engineering government to centralize control into sort of totalitarian markets. Um, and so you consolidate everything into the big guys. And then it's more efficient to pay a minimum stipend to the citizens than be bothered with them. Mm. Yeah, because if, if, if you don't give them anything, crime, decay... Uh, you know, culture, everything will just collapse. And that's what I believe they realized a hundred years ago when the labor movement were fighting. The, it wasn't the goodness of the heart. It was just, hey, if we throw them some crumbles, we'll get them off our back and we can, you know what so I mean? It's kind of, yeah, so it's kind of like family wealth versus serfdom. Now, the problem is in the second model, that income is going to come with amazing controls. You have to be chipped. You have to be implanted. You have to get vaccines. You have to have your children vaccinated. Yeah, no, no, but, yeah, but this is reality. I'm, I'm thinking uh, as a concept that doesn't automatically follow. Uh, the real, auto Absolutely. Absolutely. you know, the real basic income is just here's your stipend. Now go away. We don't want anything more to do with you. Right. In other words, we have to compete with the Chinese and to deal with the global geopolitics and we don't want to be bothered with you. So here's your stipend and we'll run everything centrally. Yeah. Now, in my opinion, that's going to be less 
productive and less uh, aligned with a healthy environment and healthy communities and a healthy culture, but it's one way to run things. Mm. I prefer the Austrian economics vision. Yeah, you know, that vision, that was a vision, and I'm also on board with that, but the other was a reality. We should either compare both realities or both visions because the Austrian isn't in play today anywhere. Right. Uh, We are having markets that, you know this, of course, but I'm just saying it for the benefit of the listeners who believe they are in a free market. No, it's just as controlled as in Soviet, only it's not that overtly controlled as Catherine has tried to explain to us. So I think... Right. So so what the second is saying is, look, if you look at how much you're stealing from us... We want you to siphon some back of what's being stolen. Right. Basically, we're yeah. getting royalty in what's being harvested. You could put it like that, yes. Right. So I don't like a universal income, but I also think it's better than depopulation. But if we talk real politics, because I think most people, if they realize the first vision, like you said, Austrian, if they realized what that entailed, and if they could see that in reality, I think it's a natural instinct for most people to support that. It's the yes, most, I agree. It's the most autonomical, natural, decentralized. In fact, it's very close to nature, and it's how it probably was like 5,000 years ago. But if you look at the world today... Um, I think maybe universal basic income could be a way to, on the one hand, prevent a complete collapse and give some value to people's life. And uh, and the backlash from that would be positive. You know, they would have resources to live and fill their life with stuff. Because it's a myth. People think, oh, everybody will lie on the sofa. No, that wouldn't happen. See, I don't. Al, I don't see a way to get to universal basic income without slavery. That's my problem. Well, that is a big problem. Yes. In fact, it's such a big problem that it would prevent that it should happen. But if you look at uh, Scandinavia, we have such a huge bureaucracy and so many kinds of, I don't, again, I don't know the English term for it, but let's just call it social security. Uh-huh. We have different ways that the state pays different kind of people. We have all sorts of ways. And you would think that the people who like that, would support basic income, but they're terrified by it because if we uh, adopt basic income, first off, we would save a lot of money because less money in a way would be put out because so much money goes to keeping this system alive today that we have and the bureaucracy around it. Right. And so it's like the healthcare debate in America. Uh, if you actually, the, the what's it called? Uh, what Bernie Sanders wants? It's called single payer, I think. Yeah. That's actually cheaper than the corrupt model they have today. Uh, so those who argue against it because, oh, people should pay it themselves, they don't realize it's actually cheaper than the corrupt model today. And the same with universal basic income. That's cheaper right. than the model we have in Scandinavia today. Right. And so, so, you know, I don't know. But the model we have today is also a slavery uh, model, by the way. I'm talking Scandinavia now. It's the same thing. So, well, but if you, if you, you know, my impression, I haven't spent a lot of time in Scandinavia recently, but if you, my impression of Scandinavia is it's significantly more human than the United States. I mean, the, the, the United States is an exceptionally violent and inhuman place with significant amounts of mind control and organized crime. Yeah. And, um, yeah, but know, the problem is we, we live in a bubble. Scandinavians don't realize. I hear a ringing sound. Do you? 
two? No. Okay. Okay. So we live in a bubble, and because we're so wealthy, people don't realize what's going on in the world, and so we are being robbed. Uh, there's an elite here too, but they are not. Well, we have oligarchs, but we have also a bureaucratic elite. And people just don't realize what's going on. I think I think we should do something about your unfamiliar with Scandinavia. You should tour here and next time. Yes, I should spend more time there. <laughs> yep. let, let me try to be a part of facilitating that. Okay, okay, but, I would love to. Uh, it would be interesting for you to study it. But but the fact that we we because we're so wealthy, we don't see the um, should we say holes in our own system, right? And we don't see the stark reality. In the rest of the world, people in general doesn't get how serious it really is. So many Scandinavians, I, I hope I'm an exception, but many Scandinavians, when they partake in these debates, they're just talking on a completely hypothetical and idealistic level. They have no idea what's really going on. So, yeah, it's true. We don't have crime. I mean, prisoners here are treated better than patients in America, <laughs> to put it like that. Right, exactly. So, yeah. And I think Switzerland is probably the best model of them all, of what's out there in reality today. Right. I would agree. Switzerland's quite remarkable. Yeah. And why not? That's where the banksters live, right? So they would want that for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on to the topic probably the majority has been waiting for, and that's, of course, the space program. Now, I want to say, and I said it to you in the mail, and I'm amazed that it hasn't got any attention. And I'm so looking forward to your take on this because if there's anyone I want to hear comment upon this, it's you and Joseph and, and Richard Dolan too. Uh-huh. But it's just gone completely under the radar. To those who doesn't know, not long ago, a few months ago, I think it was one of my video makers who sent me the link. Donald Trump was announcing amazing stuff. Right. In his own cowboy language, he was saying, yeah, we're going to go there, we're going to do that, and we have such a great uh, space program, and NASA, they're doing everything, and we're winning, and we're going to, you know, we're going to take over, we're going to make so much money from this, and blah, 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 blah. Now, the bomb here is that he was revealing really too much, and I have three high... <laughs> As he always do, he can't keep shut. He can't keep it shut. No, he can't. So there's one of three things going on here. And I want to mention them to you and then I want your take. Okay. Either he's just following orders. He's just announcing stuff that they want out there and playing along. Now, that's one solution. The other one is a whitewash. Let me explain what that means okay. to those who don't know. Uh, let's say chemtrails are actually happening, like the conspiracy theory says. I'm not talking about the intention of it, but the fact of it. Then, at some point, too many people are aware of it, they can't hide it anymore, so what do we do to deal with it? Well, let's actually start doing it overtly and get the culture on board. And when we've done that, then there's no trace. Like, like they're actually discussing, uh, seriously, in scientific conferences, doing all the stuff that Chemtrail's conspiracy has said they've been doing. So as soon as they start doing that, they're blurring what's happening. We don't know. Right. It's the same with the Mars. If we've been to Mars, and now the Donald Trump is saying, ah, we're going to go to Mars, blah, blah, blah. As soon as we start doing that, it becomes trivial and a part of obvious reality. 
and so they bury what has happened so far. That's what I call whitewashing. That's the second possibility going on. The third is that Donald Trump or someone who's in administration got a wind of what's going on, and in his if it's a power battle, whatever, or he's just being a cowboy, he's going renegade and just hijacking the whole thing. Right. Either rhetorically or actually. And then saying, okay, so this is what you're doing, guys. Well, let's use this to our benefit. Kind of like Obama did. You know how Benesi Bhutto was killed right after she said that Osama bin Laden was dead. He was on a dialysis machine and had been dead. Yeah. Now, Bush wanted to save the we killed Osama so vote for me but Alex Jones and so many conspiracy theories you know run with that so they couldn't use it because everybody was expecting an October surprise that Osama was killed so Bush had to annoyingly he couldn't use it but then (laughs) Obama as soon as he took over he hijacked that uh, meme and said yeah we killed uh, Osama oh kudos and props to us right I'm kind of looking at that as a possibility. Trump going renegade, hijacking the classified space program and wanting to integrate it into the world. He said, okay, this is what you're doing. This is great stuff. Let's do it. Let's do it openly. This is what I've been thinking is possibilities going on. Now I want to hear your. So I think Trump understands the importance of space to the United States maintaining the reserve currency status. And I think what he's trying to do is build support in the general population for a major commitment financially to space. Hmm. So he's trying to build popular support for a bigger military budget and more investment in space, including privatized investment in space that's supported by the government. So part of it is, you know, whipping the crowd up to go along with where the leadership has already gone, but they want to do it more overtly. So they want to make the space investment more overt. They want more popular support. Right, the whitewash model. Right, right. Well, I I wouldn't say it's whitewash. If you look traditionally, the population has not been on board for the kind of major expenses, I think, that they've been spending. Mm. And, um, And there needs to be a real, you know, Kennedy did a great job of getting everybody geared up. I think they, you know, part of this is Trump understands that for the U.S. to maintain its position in the world, it has to win its space and it has to win a technology. And, And Trump is a showman. He's a promoter. And he's trying to promote and get the country behind doing that. But do you think he even knows how deep it goes? Absolutely. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, if you look at the history of Trump and who his family was and what he's been doing and who he's been hanging out with, yeah, I think he knows. I mean, when you run casinos in Atlantic City, who do you think you're laundering money for? (laughs) Good point. (laughs) You know, come on. (laughs) He's probably been financing the secret space program longer than you and I have been talking about it. So. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think I think if you look at who Trump's family were and what he who he's hung out with, I mean, I assure you, Roy, if there was anybody who had no blinders on about anything in the world, it was Roy Cohen who Trump hung out with for many, many years. Oh, tell me about that chap. I don't. Roy Cohen's reputation. If there was a swamp, he was the center. Wow. <laughs> right. He was. He was the lawyer who fixed everything. Yeah, but but Trump has been hanging out with everyone, everyone. 
So uh, no, he had a very serious relationship with okay. with Cohn, and then when when the this you can hear when Steve Pachanik talks about who supported Trump for the presidency, when the Soviet Union when the wall came down, the Treasury covert operations, the State Department, Harvard, the New York banks went into Russia and basically privatized everything. They asset stripped Russia, and to do that, they teamed up with the Russian mafia. And as a result, they ended up laundering enormous amounts of money in through those networks. Now, the important thing to understand about the Russian mafia is it's 99% Jewish. There's a great book by Robert wow. Friedman called Red Mafia that can really help you understand this whole background or Anne Williamson's information on the rape of Russia. And that's why you ended up with these rat lines from Russia to the Ukraine to Israel and right into New York and the Wall Street investment banks. But you saw a ton of money pour in with the Russian mafia and every real estate developer in New York was lining up to get that money. And of course, Trump was one of them. Now, it was the CIA, the Department of Treasury and the State Department who was bringing it in. So you know, I think part of the problem they had with tagging Trump with his relationship with the Russian mafia is it was, I'm sure he was introduced by all the people he was laundering money for, you know, all the government agencies he was laundering money for probably in Atlantic City. So that, it's like being in a swimming pool, that money was floating around and touching everybody and everything. Hmm. Anyway, so so Trump isn't, whatever Trump is, he's not naive hmm. about any of this. And what's interesting is why he made such a big deal out of a space force. Um, Because if you're in the Pentagon and you're Jim Mattis, the last thing you need is another reorganization. Reorganizations take a lot of time. They're very expensive, difficult, and, and trying to take whatever's going on in the Air Force and move it or the Navy and move it up and out into a separate bureaucracy is enormous enormously difficult and uncomfortable thing to do when everybody in the swamp is in the middle of a fight. Why did Trump do it? I think because he's trying to inspire the imagination of a nation, you know, and maybe he's trying to distract. I don't know. Yeah, but it was so weird because he's he's creating a tension for something that if they have a classified space program, which they have, then you wouldn't think they wanted that attention unless they were ready to go white with it. And and another thing, it reminded me a little of when JFK got wind of this and he just said, okay, we're going to the moon, goddammit, I'm giving you nine years, okay? Then we, and even though they killed him, it worked. So Trump is now doing kind of the same thing. I was thinking would be one possibility. Yeah, we're going to Mars. Fuck it, you, you guys. We are Americans. We are ingenious. We can do this. Come on, let's do it. You know, kind of that vibe I got. Right. Well, part of the problem is the country. If you if you look at the people who come to Trump rallies, they have organized around his vision and are supporting it. Hmm. You know, I think Trump, he's again, he's a showman and he wants to, he wants the country to have an inspiring vision and to come around behind that vision. And that's part of what he's trying to do. So, so you think this comes from Trump and not from, you think he uh, just thought this up at the Oval Office? No, no, here's where I think it comes from. I think during the election, you had a real squabble between two factions. And the faction that won wants to basically institute what I call Fortress America. Right. They want to be prepared for North America to be successful, even if the dollar stops being dominant. And they want to pull back and project power 
from North America using space and drone technology and robotics. And um, if you look at any group around Trump, the one that's most predominant is the Marines. Well, who are the Marines? The Marines are the first to land and the last to pull out. So if the, you know, if the global empire has an implosion, it's the Marines are going to get hurt the worst. Mm. And they feel responsible to make sure plan A doesn't work, that there's a plan B that makes sense. So I think they know that whether it's competition with Asia or making the Fortress America vision work, they've got to be outstanding at space. And for that, they need the support of the population. Mm -hmm. It's kind of interesting that one of his team members is Newt Gingrich. And we all remember what he was running for president for Colonize the Moon. He he was sent down to Antarctica too. I think he's in the know. So whoever faction backs Trump... um, there are people with connections, I think, to the classified space program. But do you think that those people you just outlined who who want America to compete and uh, use space, do you think they are also aware of the secret space program? Absolutely. I think the reason that we decided to globalize in the early 90s was because we wanted to create the capacity to create a multiplanetary civilization. I think mm. one of the highest priorities – of the leadership of this planet is to build a multi-planetary civilization. And to do that, you needed the engineering power of Asia. Right. Yeah. And that ties into your last report. Right. Right. And I agree with them. You know, as an investment advisor, you never bet the ranch on one thing. We, we're betting the whole future of the human race on one planet. It's crazy. Why would you do that? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't make sense. No, but but planetary perspective is is kind of that's international. I don't get it. If these guys are running the world, they are why why would they back America patriotism? Aren't these people really international, the oligarchs, or are all of them Americans? With actual America well, but here's the thing. Even if they were Americans, they don't give a damn about America. America the American military is responsible for the operations that back up the reserve currency. Yeah. And I think coming into the last election so let's step back and look at who's who. Mm. You had supporting the Democrats. Hollywood, Silicon Valley, Washington, and Wall Street. What do those four industries have in common? They deal with invisible assets. Who is backing Trump? Real estate, oil and gas, agriculture. They're dealing in the concrete world. Mm. The concrete world, we're telling the people who deal in the abstract that they were over the top, the plan wasn't going to work, and we had to get the risk factors down. The people who deal with energy and food and water and, you know, putting a gun to people's heads globally said, you know, something, we are overextended. There is too much risk. We've got to get this thing back into balance. We are not going to destroy North America to keep the global empire going four more years. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah, that's without – because if you look at who supported Hillary Clinton, it was Hollywood, Washington, Silicon Valley, Wall Street. Yeah, uh, in terms of power people, yeah, yeah, those were the people. Um, Plus a lot of deluded uh, liberals. And a bunch of poor people who basically got paid Mm. to support them. And uh, you saw the same, actually. Obama had Wall Street versus Bush had oil. And Trump had other backers from the elite – but again, the oligarchs are really international, but they're tied up to the American machine. That's why they need to use, that's why they need to preserve the, because um, they don't give a damn about how ordinary Americans are, are faring in all this. 
Well, a real nationalist would care, but these people are not are not having values like that. Uh, my personal experience is that there has been enormous frustration on the part of the leadership of America because of the red button problem. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody in America wants their check, and they want to be able to pretend that we're not doing what we have to do to get that check. And so they're basically ordering the leadership to go out and knock heads globally, but come home and tell them that we're good Christians and we're really obeying the law. So there's a there's a serious multiple personality disorder in the body politic in America, and the leadership is sick of it. Yeah, but not, not just the leadership. On the bottom, ordinary people, there's huge anti-war sentiment from left to right right now. Right. Except Al... Everybody wants their check, and there's a there's a multiple personality disorder between their desire for their check <laughs> and they're saying they're anti-war. Because if, if you look at the force that's necessary to maintain their position, you know, as the dollar reserve currency, yeah. it requires a lot of force. Now, the big question, of course, is when 9-11 happened, we proceeded on a plan to basically roll seven countries in five years into a centralized financial system that could then be reconfigured. Mm. And it certainly looks like Trump is going to town to get the last two countries or the last three countries into the into the box. Iran, um, Venezuela, North Korea. And North Korea. No, Iran Iran, North Korea and Syria. And Syria. Uh, Trump doesn't seem that uh, keen on the Syria thing. There he cooperated with Putin to actually get the, you know, the um, CIA assets that is Al-Qaeda and, and Daesh. Well, you know, it's uh, uh, if you look at what's happening with Syria now, it looks like there's a bit of a squabble continuing. Yeah, I saw that. I don't know if you've seen the reports. I've seen. It seems like they're going to um, increase the war again. Right. But still, uh, then they they got to him because, I mean, he could do this from day one. He didn't. It's so weird because on some areas like North Korea and Syria, he's been renegade. But on Iran, Israel and Saudi, he's lockstep with the elite. Right. So I I, I can't wrap my head around what's going on. Either he has the license to be independent on some areas or... Um, well, here's the thing. Trump has to, the president of the United States has limited powers. So he has the power to tweet and talk, but his powers are scripted. And the reality is, if you look at the Secret Service, he's surrounded by a group of people who have guns and they can be pointed outward or inward. Yeah. Yeah, this, this is meme. They say that as soon as someone wins the presidency... What happens is that they, they're taking into a room uh, where they put on a movie, and that's the Lost Sepruder film, where you see him being shot from four or five angles. Right. No words are exchanged. <laughs> they just show that movie, <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> well, there have been several reports of the family helicopter when his kids are in it, uh, losing one engine. Uh, when uh, Trump's kids? Yeah. Mm. And his kids and grandkids. And right. to me, that always looks like a warning. Yep. Yep. And he would never sacrifice anything personal for his ideals. He's not that kind of person. So. Well, but here's the, here's the thing that doesn't, there's no, 
in a situation like that, you don't, those sacrifices are Pyrrhic victories. Pardon? Those sacrifices are what? That kind of sacrifice is a Pyrrhic victory. A Pyrrhic victory? It doesn't help. No, a no. A Pyrrhic victory is a victory that doesn't get you anywhere. Right, right, right. You know, so you sacrifice your kids or your grandkids and, yeah. and the next day it changes anyway, so... No, but I'm thinking that's why they would be afraid of someone with Asperger or something, someone who's completely principled. I think Ron Paul is an autist, not an autist, but like Asperger or something, because <laughs> you're not that clean, because they hate politicians who they don't have control files on. And my theory about Bernie and Ron is that those two are like kind of Asperger personalities. That's why they're so clean and that's why they hate them. Whereas they hate Trump, although they seem to have found a working solution now, but they hated him because, and still do many of them, because he they probably have files on him, but he doesn't give a damn. And even if even if they exposed him, the people wouldn't care. He gets away with it, right? So he's dangerous no, too. I th- I th- no, I think, because I don't think Trump won the election. I think the people who backed him won the election. Trump is functioning now as a politician. He's a developer and he's trying he's trying to get his constituents organized and to go along with something that will achieve the goal. Interesting. So it was more a power battle behind the scenes. Right. In other words, the to me the the US military and intel or gr- parts of the US military and intelligence won the election. But now they're flooding his administration with neocons. Is it the same old Bush people who is taking over? Well, the neocons have certainly inserted themselves. And the part of the question is why? What is it about the real politics globally? Uh, and I would say this about keeping the reserve currency life going, mm-hmm. that is giving the neocons their platform. To me, it very much looks like the financial fellows. Yeah. It could be it could be the Israeli weaponry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Saudis and Israelis have more power now than they ever had over America and politici- uh, presidents. It's Well, I would say the Israelis do. Um Saudi Arabia, you know, because of we're energy self-sufficient now that puts Saudis the Saudis in a weaker position. Yeah, and we have uh, also this weird stuff going down in Saudi Arabia where this disgusting young prince or whatever he calls himself has taken over the assets. Yeah. Uh, usually when when stuff like that happens, it's because of trouble. You know, if, if everything's going well, infighting isn't that likely among the elite, but the Saudi elite seems to implode. So it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on the developments over there. Well, here's the problem. When you have this much of an economy operating at a negative return, I mean, one problem is you have peak everything. You have more people and you've been stripping natural resources. Mm. So peak everything is upon us. And that's part of the fundamental debasement that's going on. The second thing is we've globalized and now the Asian you know, you, you have the Asian population converging in terms of income with the uh, G7. Mm. And what that means is, whereas while they were manufacturing for us, they were exporting deflation. Now they're starting to export inflation, which means peak everything gets much more vicious. Mm. So that's happening. And then, of course, the third thing is all of the technology makes it possible for the leadership to centralize, centralize, mm. centralize. Mm. 
And so you have that technological change at the same time and, and the leadership, the, you know, the process on to centralize. Now, the more you centralize and control, the more you destroy productivity. Productivity in the U.S. has stopped growing and is falling. It wouldn't surprise me if it was in Europe as well. And so oligarchy is terrible for productivity and and that's taking things you know so so you combine falling productivity with peak everything with you know centralization and fighting from for shrinking natural resources and you've got a formula for something pretty ugly that we can only get out of Mm. if we go to a much higher state of consciousness and enlightenment but it's very hard to tell oligarchs to do that. <laughs> <laughs> we have to influence their subconsciousness. That's the only all the children. But yeah, you're right. I've seen Chinese oligarchs. They are heavily taking over Africa and Latin America, South America, but they're doing it in a much more clever way than America did. Right. Right. Uh, just for people who don't know, America has been brute force, shock doctrine, all that stuff. But the Chinese, they're saying, hey, we're actually going to, we're not going to give you so-called charity, which is just corruption anyway. We're going to actually invest locally. We're going to invest in schools, right. roads, infrastructure, hospitals, work. Right. And in return, we're going to take over the whole golden place. That's brilliant. Right. There's, I don't know who's running China, but whoever it is, they got a couple of brain cells. <laughs> not that I support that. Well, if you look at China, you know, China has a one-party system, which is very... You know, it, it, it implements strategic plans. It does planning and implementing plans very intensively. And if you've ever sat down and read their plans, they're quite remarkable. Hey, America has a one-party system too. Come on. Well, I would say America has a secret society system, and they seem to be fighting with each other right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like that. Uh, well, we'll see what what will happen. Uh, I have one more issue we should touch. Okay. Um, last time I had you on, we did this, you know, the fun stories, the cozy stories, the um, <laughs> exceptional stuff. So you talked about uh, you want to see an alien. This time I want us to end with uh, this story you mentioned to DJ uh, about one of our uh, space, um, I think it was Voyager, uh, Right, so this is the Rings of Saturn story. Right, right. For many years, I had been trying to understand why financial fraud suddenly exploded in the 80s in just, you know, because you had to get a very large number of people in the establishment to go along with it. And that's, you know, that's a lot harder to do than you would think. And I could never figure out what the problem was. And then I watched a fascinating interview with Norm Burgum, who was an engineer who worked at Ames and other parts of the space program and wrote a book called The Ringmakers of Saturn. Hmm. And what he described was that, and if you read his book, it's very subtly done. Mm-hmm. Um, he described as the Voyager went by the rings of Saturn. What they saw were called the things in the ring, these huge plasma-based spaceships docking in the rings. The theory they believed, the people at Ames was, um, I think it was Ames where he was at that time, thought that they were basically docking and getting energy from the ring. You know, they were kind of charging again. So so we're talking active stuff, not not ruins. You're talking 
well, you're basically talking about, you know, spaceships the size tens of thousands of miles long kind of spaceships. Yeah, but but that were operational. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And and I listened to him and I realized, oh my God, if that is the truth, if that's what they saw or thought they saw, that would explain why the entire establishment just went into alpha male panic and said, <laughs> get me as much money. I don't care how you do it. I just, we are going, this is a crash emergency secret plan because the history of of advanced civilizations meeting primitive civilizations it never works out well for the no. primitive civilization. Never. No. And 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 so one theory they said we are going to spend whatever it takes to get our little took us up to advance before these guys ruin us. Yeah. But they're stupid because they, these guys have been there all the time and they haven't destroyed us yet. So just because we discover that there's something out there doesn't mean that anything. Yeah, changed. but let, but let me let me explain human nature. Mm. I once upon a time I went to Stanford Summer School in the summer of. 1978 was it 1978 uh-huh. uh no it was i'm sorry summer of 1970 and and i rented a horse at the T- stanford stables mm-hmm. and my roommate had a saint bernard named phobos and the saint bernard was the laziest dog i'd ever met he just <laughs> would lie down all day he never moved yeah. And so one day we took him to the stable. I was there to go ride my horse named Santos. And I got out of the car and Santos was, I walked Santos out of the stables and Phobos, this, this dog that barely moves, yeah. went crazy and tried to kill my horse. Jeez. I've never seen, he turned into, you know, like a couple hundred pounds of raging, foaming. He turned into his name. Right. Exactly. <laughs> And I realized it was because for the first time in his life, life, he saw a dog bigger than he was. Right, right. And I think what happened was, you know, you had a reaction, or my theory is, you had a reaction of fear and sort of alpha male panic that would explain the explosion of fraud that happened in the 80s. That could be. Anyway. But they're still stupid. Even if that's what happened, they're still being stupid. No, they're not. Well, that's a, that's a whole longer conversation that we should have. But <laughs> yeah. what I would recommend is you get a copy of Norm Burke's uh, The Ring oh, yeah. of Satin. It's a fascinating book. And, of course, when you now read stories about the vo- Voyager going by Saturn, they say something happened and the camera shut off and it was broken. It wasn't working. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I think uh, Richard Hoagland has reported about this too. I think I've heard, that's uh-huh. where I first time heard about it. But it dovetails with some all the weird anomalies. I'll give you one example. Um, and this is a matter of fact. You can see it yourself. There's published pictures, I think it's NASA pictures, where you can see huge objects, uh, lack of a better term, objects going into the sun and, and sometimes coming out on the other side. Really? Huge planet size objects almost so I, I if if i didn't know about this thing i would be much more skeptical to the story about the huge stuff at the rings of satan but i already knew there's stuff like that out there right and god knows what it is who it is whatever it is but um, if it's operational i can see the panic yeah well i think it's fair to say that there's a lot going on yeah <laughs> in the galaxy yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> well, like we used to say, between earth and heaven. Yeah, yeah. yeah we um, when when I was down in the Australian outback, we took two groups down to Uluru in uh, May, mm-hmm. and had a marvelous time. Uh, Richard Dolan came down. It was Richard Dolan, myself, and Jason Bowden Smith. And one of the things we did twice the first week and the second week is they have this wonderful dinner. It's this four course dinner under the stars Mm. at night out in the middle of the outback. And uh, you hear stories uh, from the Aborigines. And one of the stories is that the stars. Oh, wait a minute. This is uh, you hooked up with Gordon White, too, right? Yeah, Gordon was there. He told me about this before it happened. When he interviewed me, he said this was going to happen. Okay, cool. Go on. Yeah, and it was fabulous because we had Gordon and several other people who were very knowledgeable about ancient history. And so the discussions were absolutely fascinating. Anyway, but so we're sitting under the stars and, and the story is that actually the stars are campfires in the heavens where our ancestors are waiting for us to join them. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. (laughs) Right. It's all a matter of perspective, I guess. Uh (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's a perfect um, end to the show today. As usual, we leave them with more questions than answers. (laughs) But that's the way... That's the way of development of evolution, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yep, yep. Absolutely. Anyway, I think you'll really enjoy Joseph's new book. Oh, yeah. I'm so looking forward to it. Yeah, it's really, really. Because I didn't know what it was about. Because last time I talked with him, I had him on not long ago, but that it wasn't out then. So it was a big secret. But it's a continuation of the last one, which was about uh, Hess, right? Well, it it has a ref- some references to Hess. He really needed to do Hess first. Yeah. But uh, I don't want to give it away. You just have to read no. I think it's the best book ever written on mind control so far. Okay. That's saying something. <laughs> uh, is is uh, Richard Dolan's false flag book out yet? Do you know? Not yet, but... Because uh, that's taking forever. Well, here's... The, they just keep happening, and he keeps trying to keep up. He, You know, he stopped and he did that documentary, which was fantastic, for Gaia. Yeah. And he's trying to negotiate out the five that they wouldn't publish. He said they were the five best. Wow. So, Yeah. Because they're controlled, or why wouldn't they publish it? I'm assuming they were too controversial. Right. I'm assuming. I don't like Gaia TV. Well, that was a wonderful series, though. Yeah, sure. Uh, a Richard Dolan production doesn't matter where it's sent. I mean, it's going to be good. That's true. Yeah. The other thing is um, The Minds of Men. True Stream Media has now published The Minds of Men, and that is a must watch, Al. Mm. Absolutely must watch. It's fantastic. I've heard that uh, title, Minds of Men. Um, it's uh, the the website is themindsofmen.net. Yeah. It's absolutely fantastic. It's very long. It's three and a half hours. Uh-huh. And it takes you from World War II up into the 70s, but it's first rate. Okay. It sounds like, uh, you know, the Oliver Stone production? What's it called? Uh, Secret History of America or something? Have you seen that? You mean The Secret History of the World? Yeah, I, I forgot the title. It's something Oliver Stone did with uh, an academic. Where he, No, I think it's about... Isn't it America? Is it the world? I thought it was the world. The Secret History of the World. Let me say secret. Well, it's 10 episodes, and they aired only eight, but the 10 is available online. I guess the two last were too controversial. Oh, sorry. You're right. The Untold History of the United States. The Untold. Yeah, right, right, right. 
But anyway, let's try to hook up next time you come to Europe. Okay, so I'll be back in February, and you have to tell me how I come over to Scandinavia, what I should do. Sure, and I may be going down to where you are too, so send me your schedule, and, and we'll see how. Okay, well, I'll, no, I'll be, I'll be here for the, I'll be in the Netherlands for the entire month of February. Mm, right. Yeah, because you're you're hooked up with the Giron and Robert, right? Yeah, so Robert does all of our videos and audio. Robert Duper. Mm-hmm. He's got a, a website for his video company. Okay, cool. Well, also, I just want to say, you know, the secret space program stuff, what's happening there, nothing has been going on for a while, and we all know what happened to it. And Well, we were, we were going to do an out-of-control online webinar thing, joint with Solari, and, right. and frankly, what happened was I got hacked, and then uh, I my other company got audited, and they got... Wow. You know, we all got the the attack, the wave of attack, and frankly, Robert has a has a two year old, and you got a three year old, and they're digesting having a baby. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, but that's understandable. So they're they're good. Excellent. Okay. So uh, yeah. No. Well, I'm often in Belgium. But that's a stone throw away from Holland. Sometimes they even go through Holland. Well, but if I if I come tour Scandinavia, where should I go? Well, it all depends. You know, if we didn't have to think about anything, then if you have to think about people and organizing and all that, that changes stuff. But if it was like top choice, I'd say Copenhagen in Denmark. Pretty cool. Um, So I've been in um, Sweden. I've just never been in Denmark or Norway. Where in Sweden? Uh, I've been in Stockholm and uh, wait, let me get the name. Stockholm isn't too oh, bad. Is it Gothenburg that I've been? Yeah, it's Gothenburg. Yeah, Gothenburg. My brother used to live there. But you know, the interesting thing is that Iceland. Mm-hmm. Now, Iceland has volcanoes and mountains. Denmark is flat. It's farm country. Sweden is forests and farm. Finland is forest and lakes. Uh-huh. And Norway is all of that. Norway has all those landscapes. Uh. So so for tourists, Norway is always best. I wouldn't recommend Norway for other stuff than just that. If you want to know what, if you go to party, you go to Sweden. <laughs> Not Norway. But... Uh, the problem with Norway is that everything is expensive. Right. They say we are the richest country and all that. Yes, yes. But on the other hand, we're also the most expensive country. Right. So people never think about both ends, right? You have to think about right. both ends. So anyway, so I think for your tourist experience, I think uh, West Coast, uh, North of Norway even, uh, in the summer, not, not don't come in the winter. A <laughs> hundred years ago, People, the royalties of Europe used to come here and experience this stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, Oscar Wilde, Kaiser Wilhelm, Alistair Crowley, everyone <laughs> came here right. to see these things. But now nature isn't that high in stock anymore. And I guess we have other distractions. Yeah. So that I would do for sure. Maybe even a cruise uh, on, on the coast, see the fjords, all that stuff. You were in Australia, but you weren't in New Zealand, were you? Yeah, yeah. I, I stopped in New Zealand for a week on the way back. Okay. Because you know Lord of the Rings? You've seen those movies? Yeah. When yeah. he wrote that, what he had in mind and what they emulated in the movies, although they did use New Zealand landscape, but he had in mind Norwegian landscape. That's what they tried to imitate in, 
in ah okay and because peter jackson is australian so he went to new zealand to do this right well i've certainly seen the pictures of how beautiful norway is yeah so it's, it's argentina norway new zealand we have like these kinds of nature landscapes so right 